Welcome back to the Unveiled Podcast, Episode 5 today. I'm not by myself today. Today, I have a conversation partner. Her name is Heather Goddess-Moore, and we are going to be talking about human trafficking, more specifically, human sex trafficking. So I hope that your heart is ready. I hope that your mind is opened to hear some of the root causes of why this happens and some ways in which we can prevent it at very early ages, raising up children, taking care of others in our own homes and in the church. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey, you guys. Thanks for joining the conversation on my Unveiled podcast. I'm Dallin Morgan, a wife, a mama, and also a pastor. We'll be looking at different topics that interact with daily living, minus all of the churchy language and endless scripture quoting. This podcast is for anyone and everyone who is interested in deepening their faith in a practical and honest way. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to another week of Unveiled. I'm excited um, to have the conversation that we're going to have today. My name is Dallin Morgan, and today we are going to talk about something that's been all over the media, all over the news channels. Today we are going to talk about this trending hashtag, Save the Children, but even more than Save the Children, we're going to talk about human trafficking. You know, over the past month, I'm not sure what's taken place, but I think that a lot of church people have woken up to the fact that children are being trafficked, but also grown adults. And I, as many of you know, I really believe in helping survivors that have gone through anything, especially human trafficking, abuse, um, any kind of domestic violence. I believe the church should do everything that we can to help the survivors um, get out of those situations and help counsel them, um, make sure they have their needs met. But I also think it's really important as the church that we don't just put band-aids on situations. We've got to get to the heart of why people are doing what they're doing and try to have preventative measures in the church so that these things would not occur. And so today I brought in a conversation partner Her name is Heather Goddess-Moore. She is a pastor, um, and she also has a very specific ministry with human sexuality. So I brought her in today to help kind of weed through the noise of what we've been hearing. But also, hopefully, we could have um, some information on some preemptive conversations that we could have in our churches and in our homes, specifically when it comes to sex trafficking and our own human sexuality to kind of steer the course of this huge billion dollar industry. So I want to welcome Heather to the podcast. Thanks, Dallin. It's great to be here. Thanks. So Heather, will you tell me, obviously, I know a little bit about who you are, but will you share with like who you are, what you do, and specifically um, your ministry over holistic human sexuality? Sure, sure. So um, uh, like Dallin said, my name is Heather Goddess-Moore. Uh, I'm a provisional deacon in the United Methodist Church, so I'm commissioned and looking forward to ordination ordination in a couple of years. And um, I work uh, what I call, I'm a tri-vocational, so I have a full-time position um, at SMU doing uh, 
continuing education. And then I do youth and young adult ministry at a local church here in Mesquite, St. Stephen United Methodist Church. And then I have a, um, my ministry of my heart, as I call it, is my ministry of holistic human sexuality. And so uh, what I do in that work is I consult with churches, pastors, uh, youth workers, parents, small groups, whoever wants to talk about whatever they want to talk about um, in regards to human sexuality. And we do everything from uh, student human sexuality training to conversations about gender identity or um uh, you know, basically, if it has to do with human sexuality or understanding it better, uh, that is what I try to facilitate. Um, my, go- my goal and hope is that people will be more comfortable and willing to have these conversations. Because like you said in your introduction, um, getting to the root of the problem, getting to the root of the things that are causing issues in our society um, is key. And when it comes to so many things in our culture... Um, our understanding about our sexuality and who we are as created beings of God and how our sexuality plays into that uh, are, is a part of, of that root that, that of so many issues that we have. Hmm. So that is a little bit of what I do. Okay. So Heather, you got to tell me, why is this a heart passion? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and say, how in the world did that become a passion? I mean, obviously we're all sexual human beings. Right. Uh, but that's not my passion to to talk about and to explore. And so what why is that something that's passionate for you? Well, it sort of evolved. Um, when I was right after I had my son, uh, he is now 15. Mm. Or I'm sorry, he's now 14. So about 15 years ago, um, I decided to go back to school. And I waited until after I had him. And I started in, in, in classes. Now, Noah, my son was an unplanned pregnancy. I was a single mother. And um, while I was going through the first two years of his life, I experienced as a 26-year-old to 28-year-old white woman, I experienced what it was like to live uh, in poverty. I had I had to go to the WIC office to pick up, you know, all of the, all of the things to be on, not necessarily food stamps, but different government assistance, mm-hmm. um, to make ends meet. And, uh, but I had a mom who brought me back into her home. And, and so as I started going back to school, <clears throat> excuse me, and I started learning more and more about not only how I ended up in that situation, but also how millions of women end up in that situation every day, every week, you know? And dealing with that and, and thinking back about how I learned about my sexuality and, and the things that I, um, the things that informed my choices in life and, and all of that, it, it started to kind of open up my eyes to some of the things in the world. And then as I started um, going to classes and I really fell in love with sociology and during all of my sociology classes, I focused on teenage sexuality and um and I learned in many directions in many places how um the church was supposedly the number three place that young people get their information about sexuality and it made me laugh right because I was like well what are they getting because yeah yeah you know what they're getting is don't have sex don't do it exactly that's all exactly and I thought I thought Oh my gosh, because I knew like their number one place, the number one place that, that young people are supposed, you know, supposedly get their information is their families or their parents. 
The number two place is their social circles, school, you know, um, their friends, things like that. And number three is church. And I thought, okay, well, what they're getting from their friends is probably not accurate. What they're getting from their parents is even very little. Um, But at least it's, it's probably more than, than in some places. And what they're getting from the church is, is don't do it. Yeah. Until you're married. And it's, and then it's fantastic. And you're like, well, how can it be fantastic if you've not practiced? Right. Okay. So, so everything else you tell me like practice makes perfect, but then you're like, but don't have sex till you're married because that's, it's going to be, it's going to be perfect when you're married. Mm -hmm. It's like, that doesn't right. Okay. So I started to do a little bit more research. And then of course, when I, um, when we were in seminary together and I was taking classes there, I started to kind of, um, unfold a little bit more about theologically and scripturally how we have come to understand sexuality. I started to really spend a lot of time deconstructing purity culture, which I know Mm -hmm. both of us are very much, um, you know, children who grew up in that era and, and, and the, and the, um, aftermath of it, I would call it. And so, um, so I just started sort of developing things to talk about and, um, with, with groups about how to deconstruct purity culture, how to understand, um, gender and sexuality, uh, I think in a better way and, and have it biblically, biblically based. Um, and so that is sort of how it happened. I mean, it wasn't my intention, you know, coming, coming out of, um, my undergraduate, I was like, I'm going to open a, um, like sort of like a half having to, you know, whatever. And a really great um, thing to do. And I, and it's something that maybe someday down the road, I'll be able to do. I also, again, as I dug deeper, I thought I need to get to the root of the problem that gets them in that place in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I do what I do. Wow. It's amazing how God takes, I mean, I'm, and I, I should know this by now, like God takes all of our stories and creates ministries from them, but it's just, yes. it's always just amazing to hear all the different things because none of our stories are the same. So obviously God's going to do different things through us, but, um, well, I'm, I'm really grateful that you have explored this ministry and you're doing this work. I think for sure it's the least talked about thing in the church. And, um, you know, if, I guess if you're listening to this right now, whatever we talk about, obviously, if you're a parent, like that's your choice to talk to your child about what whatever you want them to know and your values and morals. But I would, you know, in an honest and raw conversation, say, you know, teaching children just wait till you're married and that's the end all be all. That's probably not helpful. And I would say even harmful. Yeah. Can I add to that? Yes. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I think, and this is how I, um, what I say to parents every time I teach a, um, teenage human sexuality class, so like wonderfully made or, or, um, our whole lives or anything like that, I'll, I'll say, look, I'm going to give your children all of the information it's going to, and some of the information is going to be stuff you're, you don't like, Mm. and that's okay because my job is to give them the information and your job is to help them fit that information into your moral and value structure. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't, and if you don't agree with some of it or you have moral differences about it, then, then it's your job as the parent to communicate that to them. Right. 
Uh, yeah. Because that's how they learn to build their own. Right. That's yeah. so good. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, like putting the moral aspect back in the family unit instead of the church is teaching the overall moral compass, you know? Like I mean, there's... they will. The church will do that, right? But even within church bodies, as both of us know on church staffs, um, not everyone agrees. And what? not everyone has this. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> that's funny. It's crazy. Well, so I think I, I think I should give some statistics as we start to talk about human trafficking. Um, that's a great idea. That are not slated. These are from the Polaris Project and from Save the Children. Um, They're very sound statistics. That's a hard word to say. So I just want to put that out there. I'll also put it in the show notes in case anybody wants to go look these things up. Um, To kind of set the the scene of why this is important, if you haven't heard about what's been going on, um, and to help really get to the root of some of the things that I think are directly related to human sexuality. So First, human trafficking is not the same thing as human smuggling. They can be, but they're not synonymous with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know why we just started saying human trafficking and changed it from human slavery. But basically, it's a modern day wording of human slavery. We enslave people to do specific things. Um, And since 2007, 21 million people, and this is reported, right? And we know not everything is reported, but 21 million people have been human trafficked, which is, uh, it it makes my stomach hurt. Um, Two thirds of those people have been specifically sex trafficked. Mm -hmm. Um, 27% of the 21 million people are children who are 17 years and younger. It's a $150 billion industry. And this is the worst part, I think, for us being here living in the United States. The U.S. is the largest consumer of human trafficking. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's important to put that out there to say, look, we've got a problem. You know, we always talk about we need to talk about things that are happening here and be a ministry with people here. Right. That's a that's a critique of the church. Often this is a problem here. This is a ministry we need to be flushing out here because obviously this is something that's happening right here in the United States. Um, And it's different than I think some of the stuff that's been going around, which is obscene, although I know this happens sometimes you know, most of these situations where human beings are being literally bought into slavery, um, they're not just being picked up, you know, out of restaurants. They're not being grabbed up and, and thrown into vehicles. It's done okay. through family and quote unquote friends, right? Obviously not a friend. People they know. People they know. And so I mm-hmm. think it's really important to wrap our minds around the fact that we have a serious problem and it's developed by our family and the people were surrounding ourselves with um and even bigger that we as a nation are consuming all of it including the sexual part and so i guess heather i guess where i want to start or, or what i was thinking about is how do you think our inability as a society but more specifically in the church to talk about sexuality affects long-term immoral sexual actions 
I know that's a big leap, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's good. So I think that, I mean, you and I talked a little bit, you know, I think that the problem of, um, human trafficking for specifically for sex trafficking is two, twofold. I think part of it is, um, power. Right. And, mm-hmm. and in a lot of cases, it's um, in like 90% of the cases, it's women who are uh, women and, and young girls who are being trafficked. And um, it is somebody going in, stealing them, or, mm-hmm. or someone being in a position that they need to be, uh, they need to make a payment of some sort. Yeah. And the payment ends up being their niece, or their sister or their sister-in-law or whatever. Right. Like, and that, and that's sort of in some cases how it starts. But I think that for, as a culture, you know, part of our problem is one, we've never talked about, we've never talked about sexuality until the recent, like maybe five years or so we have never as a whole, as a Christian um, denomination um, or any, any, Protestant even, or actually, yeah, I'll just say Christian because Catholics are the same way. Mm-hmm. We do not talk about our sexuality as part of our humanness, mm-hmm. as part of who we are as created beings of God. We don't, um, we don't look at it as the same way as our call to ministry or our call to a vocation of some sort. Like, oh, I'm called, you know, I really feel called to be a doctor or I really feel called to be a lawyer or whatever, right? Like, we don't, we don't look at that, at what the Holy Spirit has put upon us as our vocation. We don't look at sexuality the same way. Um, when we ask about our prayer life, we look at that as a, a place where we, you know, convene with God and we are, are one with God. Well, in reality, our sexuality is the same thing. It is something that God gave us. And, and it's unique to us mm. just in the same way that our prayer life is unique to us. And we should treat it that way, but we've never, we've never been told to do that. We've never, it's never been taught to us that way. And so what we saw start to happen and, and we see this, um, in some ways in, uh, in biblical scripture, when they do talk about sexual immorality, um, is we start to compartmentalize and we say, well, um, our sexual self is sinful because obviously our, um, our innate sexual nature is to be sinful. And so therefore this is a, a this is a biological thing that our bodies do innately. So it must be sinful. Hmm. And then that dumped us into purity culture, which was, well, we don't have to talk about it because you're going to save yourself and you're going to stay pure. Of course, we only said that to the women, but that's, you know, yeah. a different <laughs> podcast. Um, and so, so that would be then, you know, then it wouldn't be something we'd have to to talk about. We could just let you know that, that God wants you to save yourself for marriage Mm. and wear this ring to prove it to everybody. Um, And, and so I think that the deep down piece of it is we've lost the connection of our sexuality as part of who we are as created beings of God Um, and what that means for each of us as individuals um, and how we talk about it in relationship with others. Hmm. I'm, you know, I was, as you were talking about that, I think it, I mean, you said that this is for another podcast, but I think it's very true. If women are typically the ones being sex trafficked and men are typically the ones consuming it, 
then that conversation's not for another podcast. That's a conversation for now because, you know, I have a son and I have two daughters and, you know, as much as I, I think I talk to them all equally, I'm sure there's some verbiage that I'm not using or putting unrealistic um, expectations on my girls, obviously, because they would physically become pregnant and there's a whole lineage of that. Right. But But it's just as important if we want things like sex trafficking to stop, then we have to teach little boys at a young age what respect is, what boundaries are, what their sexuality is, what what women's sexuality is, and how to, I guess, maneuver between all of that. Because if we don't have the conversation with boys, they will become grown men. And, right. and, and this is where the, the problem continues to happen. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that we run into. And I I remember having a conversation with a couple parents about uh, who had preschoolers, Mm -hmm. um, who, you know, I said, it starts in preschool, as soon as we start socializing our kids, we have to start deconstructing gender norms, Mm -hmm. and power dynamic norms. Um, And we need to stop abuse culture. So when we, um, when we see little boys, um, or little girls, you know, push another kid, uh, usually of the other gender, um, in, in most cases, of course, any, um, non heteronormative gender identities are not quite developed at three or four. So, Mm -hmm. uh, usually it is, it's, um, boy girl type of thing. So, but like when a boy pulls a girl's pigtails, our response should no longer be, Oh, he just likes you. Mm -hmm. When, um, you know, when, when we get into middle school and there's the whole like smacking and pushing and like being flirtatious in quotes by physically, I mean, no, it's not abuse, but it's a precursor, right? Because it's, it's, um, desensitizing people to having someone in love, quote unquote, put their hands on you Mm. in in a, in a aggressive way. Right. Um, and so no, in, in a one-off incident, that's not a big deal, but when it's done over your whole adolescent life, you come to expect it Mm -hmm. and be okay with it. And so then you just get desensitized more and more. And so when we work as parents to um, remind our kids that it doesn't matter what your gender is, no one should put their hands on your body without your permission. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what your gender is. You should not push or, um, pull or, uh, you know, slap or any sort of without permission, you know, like that's, that is not, that is not how we show respect for other created beings of God. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how we get, we start to kind of pick away at those that foundational, um, stuff that leads to the bigger issues of sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, we're with me uh, and I'm using terms that I, 
are probably not as inclusive as they need to be for, but for me, (laughs) my son and my daughter, uh, you know, they are at ages where we're starting to have more and more conversations about body parts, about, Oh yeah. You know, Ooh, you like somebody or you don't like somebody. And we're, you know, because that's where we're at in our life. I mean, I just remember a conversation we had not too long ago where my son thinks that it's okay to run around and talk about his body parts from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes and thinks that we should all listen to it and it's funny and he could do whatever. And one of the things that I have challenged him with is, do you want me to run around and start talking about my body parts? Like this is not appropriate yeah. language to use. It's not funny. It's it's not acceptable. And he has even said, well, I'm just being a boy. And I was just like, man, what have I, <laughs> like, as a parent, right, like, who like, taught you I, that that's what a boy does? Did right? I do that? You know, <laughs> but, but I, I mean, it's really interesting because if my daughter was to run around and do that, we would be like, what are you, what, we're overly concerned, you right. know? Um, so I think that's a good, <laughs> like, anybody else listening that has children doing this, like, obviously I'm walking through it, uh, but that's a good example to say, like, these are ways in which we've just kind of accepted for, you know, young children to act. And we've assigned that, you know, gender roles of boys, they can act this way and talk about this, but girls, they need to be silent and they need to not talk about their body, you know? Um, And we've wrapped it up in this cute, cute language, which is disturbing in itself. But um yeah, I think that's so interesting. So at a young age, you're you're saying at preschool we should start talking about their sexuality. Yeah, yeah I mean, because that's the reality is, is and like you said, like as your child grows, your your conversations um, grow. What you talk about grows. As they discover things about their body, what their body does, you have conversations about it. And as you do that, your kid is um, unconsciously becoming more comfortable with the topic. And so when something does happen at, uh, you know, I'd say probably for girls, it'll be nine, 10, 11 ish for boys. It'll probably be 11, 12, 13. Um, you know, when they are starting to have some sense of puberty or things like that, they are going to be more likely, um, not necessarily willing but they're going to be more likely to come to you and say, you know, mom, something weird's going on. Um, I don't know if it's puberty or if it's something else, like whatever. Right. And they're going to ask you a question. They're going to, and they're not only are they going to ask you the question and be willing to, you know, somewhat willing to have that conversation. Um, they're, they're going to have the right language to use to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, in like my my son is 14. Um, we talk about everything. It doesn't make it any less awkward. Um, Mm. we laugh and we giggle and, um, you know, I'll call it out. Like that's, that's weird. Right. And he's like, it's totally weird. Yeah. Right. So, um, because, because it is weird because it's hard and, and, and we get it. But as soon as we, as parents humble ourselves and realize it is hard for us, it is hard for them. But the fact that we can do it, if we can have those conversations together, the better, it actually makes us both better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, you know, they're more informed. And I know that 
much of the choices, you know, I don't think that my son's going to make all of the right choices in his life, but I know that much of the choices that he makes now, many of the choices he makes are based in the things that we have talked about. And so when he sees something at school that he, you know, annoys him or whatever, he can, he can root it back to, it's just so frustrating because they're putting their hands on someone who didn't give them permission. And I was like, I know Mm. that's really frustrating. Um, and so then we kind of talk through, you know, what do we do in those situations and, um, you know, how do we process that or do, is it, is it something that we need to report? Is it something that we need to, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's about if you start at an early age, it, it gives them the language and the confidence to, to be able to have those conversations when they're older. Now, of course, if you didn't start at an early age, you haven't failed. Right. It just, okay, means, good. <laughs> oh my God, okay. it just, it just means you have more work to do. Right. Um, yeah. it means that you have to speak more openly about it. Um, and, and understand that there's going to be a little more awkwardness for you to cut through. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite books that I refer to parents to about talking about, um, sex with kids is by Kate Ott. Um, just Kate and their last name's Ott, O-T-T, and it's called Faith um, Plus Sex. And it basically goes through, like, developmentally, each age group, what types of things you should be talking to your kids about. And um, it has, like, the beginning is, like, an overview of um, theologically, you know, how we should talk about sex. And then and then each age level um, topics you, sh- you should talk about. It's a really great book. It's a great resource for parents. Uh, with kids of any age. So, um, yeah, it's a favorite. Oh, so, so that's on the parent end, right? Yep. So this is something that is probably a critique of mine with the United Methodist Church. (laughs) Okay. Everybody ready to hear this? We will talk and spend billions. I don't know, billions. I'll say millions of dollars fighting each other over what we believe is appropriate for human sexuality, right? That we keep having the same argument. Oh my um, gosh. But I think billions church- is right. Oh, okay, good. But but we will not talk about sex from the pulpit unless it's to talk about the argument happening. Right? right. We right. don't talk about sex in our churches. We just, you know, we talk about wait till you're married. Like, that's just the assumed thing. Now, I'll be honest with you. I do a lot of marriage counseling and, you know, I've I'm never married waiting. somebody right after. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I've never, I haven't, well, I haven't married somebody that's like right out of high school. They're all grown adults. But I mean, I can tell you that, I mean, I, I, I don't come with an assumption, but I have to have a conversation with them. That's the appropriate thing to do to talk about sex and how that's yeah. going to fit into your marriage. Um, and I can tell you, I, I mean, I won't say none of the couples have waited, but it's just not a normal part of life anymore right. where it was an expected maybe 50 years ago. I don't even as a pastor expect it. Um, in fact, I really challenged that when I became a pastor in the United Methodist Church, the celibacy and singleness um, and sex and marriage. I thought that was the strangest thing to <laughs> add as yeah. a you know restrictive for pastors because that's not even a realistic thing for people anymore or right. has it ever been honestly I don't think it's ever really been that way but um you know I I, I guess I'm, with all that being said 
what do you think specifically we could do a better job from the pulpit in the churches how to address human sexuality as what you were talking about as a natural part and as a gift of who we are as a part of our identity yeah so i um my whole website not my website but my ministry um is all based around like basically what you just talked about with the church so right i um (laughs) I know very well that the topic of human sexuality is super sensitive and difficult for people to walk through. I know that the church does not help. Um, And part of the reason, so part of my issue, the sticking point I have with the United Methodist Church is um, how we reinforce this separation of sexuality from our humanness. So in the Book of Discipline, in our social, t- social principles, human sexuality is its own bucket. And then under the nurturing community, we talk about marriage and divorce. We talk about uh, celibacy and singleness. We talk about um, abuse, abortion, um, gender roles. So all of these other things we, we dump in this category of nurturing community, when in reality, our understanding of our sexuality as created beings of God inform all of those things. So in my opinion, everything that we understand about our gender, our um, whether we marry or don't marry, whether we end up in divorce or don't, whether we, I mean, you know, whether we choose an abortion or not, whether we are pro-life or pro-choice, um, which those are not, you know, synonymous. Um, um, Amen to that. And like all of those things are all informed by how we understand um, our sexuality, how we approach emotional, spiritual, and physical intimacy is all a part of that. And so we need to attend to the human sexuality of the whole person in whatever time in life they find themselves. So the sexuality of a child is very different than the sexuality of a college student, right? So what a child is to understand gender roles and their femininity or masculinity, their um, what relationships look like through their parents or through their other family members, um, things like that. But then what a college student might need is going to be something very different. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they do also need to know what relationships look like, but it, they need to know how relationships look like from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and so as we, as, as a church, what we should be doing is we should be addressing this from every angle as often as we talk about money. Now, I realize in some churches, that's not very often. <laughs> um, but if, we, if we're addressing financial stewardship once a year, we should be, we should be uh, addressing sexuality, uh, sexual stewardship once a year. Mm-hmm. Sexual stewardship. That's a mm-hmm. good term. It is. I, I totally borrowed it uh, from oh. Nadia Boltzweber. Oh, okay. Yeah. In her in her book Shameless, she has a whole section on sexual stewardship, and I was like, "This is a glorious term." <laughs> oh my goodness, I need to read that book. I 
that's one of my like oh I need to get to that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that. yeah no that's it's, a, it's a really great to get to that book yeah it's a really great book oh that's a good term but yeah I mean I guess that's interesting and I mean obviously you know what we try to say on Sunday should fit the the most of the whole of the crowd so maybe not specifics but I but maybe conversations about gender roles you know I I just feel like well and there are ways that you can embody it right so the reality is is how often and I know this is different in your church than in most United Methodist churches but how often does the congregation see a woman in full leadership of the service Mm. Uh, how often is a Sunday school teacher male? How often is, uh, do you have somebody of the LGBTQ spectrum in leadership in your church? Like those things all inform a child or even a, 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 a young adult, you know, anyone in, in uh, brain maturation, I'll say, um, you know, anyone under the age of 25 or so that informs them of what the church's priorities are. So when we say the church is the number three place for students to get their information about sexuality, if they're not getting it directly in a class, they're getting it indirectly by the actions of the church. Mm. And so if the church is only ever has white males in leadership, then those kids are growing up thinking that the only people that can be in leadership in a church are white males Mm -hmm. Mm. or white straight males, we'll even say. So, so I think that, you know, it's, it's little things and it is, it's little things because it's not that hard in most cases. I will say there are some congregations there. It's not that hard to let a woman preach and lead a worship service once a month or whatever, like most people, most congregations have access to that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in fact, all congregations actually have access to that. It's whether or not they choose to use it is a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I real and here's the thing is I know that there are some congregations that having an LGBTQ person in leadership is just a non-starter. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to, to make an argument one way or another about that. Um, I know, I know the congregations where I have served and how we've, you know, we have lived into that, um, experience, but very, very few churches anymore can't have a woman in leadership. Now there Mm -hmm. are some small ones, but I, so I think, you know, it's, you got to start somewhere. Um, there are plenty of places in the Bible where you can talk about, um, sexuality without making it Heather hello I can't hear you Heather Can you hear me now? <laughs> That's okay. Me. Yeah. 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 It just went out on my end and I was like, is she still talking? Did she hang yeah. Up? <laughs> I was, when you said, you said Heather and I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I yeah. heard something, something happened and I was like, okay, that was a weird sound. Um, okay. So I don't know. So I said, uh, if you're a pastor looking at how do I, how do I talk about this from the pulpit? Like, let's have a conversation. And there are a lot of great resources out there. 
but um, let's have a conversation about, you know, doing a sermon series on Song of Songs mm. and the and the rich relationship that is there um, that that is important. You know, one of the one of the things that I have, one of the issues that I have with um, how the church as a whole, not just the United Methodist Church, but just the church as a whole approach sexuality is they pull like three or four key verses and that's what they use Mm -hmm. when in reality there are hundreds of verses in the bible that tell us that that are about sex and are not great right so it's like all of so if we're gonna if we're gonna make a scriptural case for for sex or sexuality like we have to look at the whole of scripture not just the ones that feed our agenda Mm-hmm. And this is, the, and this actually has very little to do with the LGBTQ conversation and just really about the conversation about human sexuality as a whole. Yeah. Like if we're going to talk about, you know, marriage being, um, or sex being after marriage, let's talk about what it meant when, uh, how many kids do you have listening to this podcast? Probably not very many, right? Yeah. Um, what it means when um, Abraham took Sarah into his tent and made her his wife, like they didn't have a wedding ceremony, friends. Yeah. You know, so to me, it's, it's like, we need to have full conversations about, you know, what it means when we read the scripture about Lot and his daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, And, and uh, you know, so, it's just, there's so much more to it. It's not simple. Right. And, and we need to stop trying to oversimplify it and, and make it the complex thing that it really, that sexuality really truly is. Right. And I think, that, you know, I like kind of taking this for full circle, what you were just talking about. Like, I think in scripture, we need to call sexual assault, sexual assault. We can't yeah. just say like, Oh, see, they, they laid down together because when I read it, you know, I mean, I know this is like old school, but my family reads scripture together because I want them to know scripture. And when we get to those places, I explain to them, like, he assaulted her, he slept with her and, and you don't ever hear her say, okay. And that's rampant through the old Testament. And the reason I think that's so important is if we don't talk about it and it's in our holy text then when human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking is happening, guess what? We don't talk about it then either. You know, like we just like to not talk about it. Let's act like it's not happening. We don't want to report. We don't want to say anything. But right. I, I almost think scripture makes it, if we would just be honest about it when we're reading it and have those hard conversations, it would be easier for us to open our eyes to what's happening so that when people do report that they're going through stuff, specifically sex trafficking, that we would listen and believe them. You know, this is not right. a new thing that people are reporting, reporting sexual assault. We might have gotten into a place now that we just don't believe anybody that reports sexual assault. But but it's it's happened since the beginning of time. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and I mean, there are people who would argue that it's in the Bible. Like, I mean, I would say that multiple times. I don't think that David, you know, this beloved king that everybody looks up to. I mean, he had hundreds of women he was sleeping with. Right. I, I, I don't I mean, 
And I wasn't one of those women. You think they all (laughs) all came willingly? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think so. And I'm pretty sure there was a scripture about David looking over on somebody's roof when a woman was bathing herself. Oh, yeah. And 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 taking her. Yeah. Right? And so I just think we have to be honest about it in our scriptures to know, like, since the beginning of time, we have struggled with human sexuality and power struggles. And we continue to do that today. And... We have to be able to have those conversations at our early age, as you were talking about, because our children will grow up to be adults. And I pray to God never experience this, but somebody's children that grew up are participating in this, you know, and and that's the reality. And, and so as us as the church, you know, it's kind of like anything else. If we keep silent, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't make it better. It actually makes it much worse. Yeah. I think that the, uh, much, much like the racism conversation, I think the thing that makes this difficult is it's a really big elephant. Yes. Um, and much like any elephant, we eat it one bite at a time. Right. Yeah. So the, the key is finding small things that you as an individual and you as a congregation can be doing to, um, mitigate, opportunity and incidents of sex trafficking or trafficking of all sorts. So of course the first step is education. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that we've been seeing going around on the internet have um, been true, but a lot of the things that have been going around on the internet have been not true and have mm-hmm. been used to uh, bury some other stories. And so uh, know where you're getting your information. Uh, there are several really great um Websites that have lots of information about them. The sex trafficking hotline website is, I think, where you probably got your Polaris mm-hmm. uh, numbers. Um, the um, there's a, a end modern save end modern slavery out of the UK, uh, which is a great um, website that has. Uh, they've been starting doing some stuff in the United States as well. It's the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition mm. um, and do something.org are the ones that I really um, love to go to if I want actual information about human trafficking, um, have the number, you know, available. And, um, you know, a lot of churches have been starting to put, you know, the business card type things in their bathrooms. And of course, none of us are in our buildings right now, but, yeah. uh, well, not none of us, but many of us are not in our buildings right now. But once we get back into, which we will eventually, a regular, um, meetings and things like that, you know, that might be something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for for parents, one of the things that I really encourage um, parents to do, you know, the church, uh, the United Methodist Church, and at least I know in the North Texas Conference, all of the churches have access to um, sexual abuse training. Mm-hmm. And if um, someone does the background check I I believe this is still the case. If someone does the background check through their church and does the sexual abuse training, the church is reimbursed for their, their background check. So, um, but anybody can take the training. So get trained, learn the signs, Mm -hmm. learn to how, what grooming looks like. Talk to your kids about what grooming looks like. Um, that is probably one of the hardest things to do. I'm going to say hardest. It's one of the more uncomfortable things, conversations to have with your kid is for them to, you know, make sure they understand what grooming looks like um, and, and be watching for grooming behaviors. Mm. Because again, 
Kids who are abducted into sex trafficking are usually abducted by someone they know. A family member, a friend, a teacher, a neighbor, someone that they know and they trust. Yeah. And um and that's it's the same case with sexual abuse. It's usually someone they know and trust and the grooming um procedures are are very similar. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just know as much as you can and then start thinking about what are the things um, you don't have to fix the whole problem. That's, that's actually, I don't think that should be anybody's goal because that's not a goal. Any of us as a single congregation can. Right. Can Highly meet. unrealistic. Right. Right. Um, you know, a measurable, a realistic goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but pick something that you want to do and it might be, um, one of the things that we do uh, at St. Stephen is quarterly on fifth Sundays, we do an, uh, an all Sunday school, like all the Sunday schools come together to learn about a specific topic. And then we do a sort of initiative for the month that mm-hmm. talks about that topic. So it might be that you do um, an event that really helps educate people about human trafficking and specifically sex trafficking. And then for the following month, you have little small groups or you have, you know, different ways that people can learn more about what they can do. And then it becomes something that, you know, quarterly you all get together and do something or whatever, like be creative. Um, There's a lot of things um, that you can do. Learn where the hotspots are close to you. Um, You know, for some of us who live, on the outskirts of the Metroplex, you know, we might have to go into the Metroplex a little bit more um, or, uh, you know, somewhere if you're, if you're not near a city um, and in order to actually be you know, in action, if that's where you're trying to, to do some work or something like that. So, um, but education is a big piece of it and, and checking, I hate the internet and I love the internet, like all in the same <laughs> Fact you know, check, check fact your check. facts, check them <laughs> and check them twice. If Santa can check his list twice, uh, we can check ours. Yeah. Um, you know, like just double check because there's so much misinformation out there. Um, and so before you share something on social media that is about sex trafficking, check where it came from. Mm-hmm. If you can find the original source, share that instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah not is, just yeah share from a friend share from a friend yeah from a friend. Uh-huh. yeah this whole QAnon thing is serious business man <sighs> you know I I just a, a episode came out today on podcast and I I kind of go into it it's more aligned along the lines of like loving people you quote unquote hate because I think that's a huge issue in our world today but yeah. a lot of it's brought on by politics and yep. you know unfortunately just like every other justice concern in the world, it should not have, it, it should be a separate concern for church people and human beings than getting it wrapped up into politics. Right. Um, I think politics can help address it, but it should not become a political issue. And I think it has become a political issue um, too. Right. Because it gets, because it gets hijacked by an extremist group. And this happens on both sides. Like I'm not on one, yeah. one side or the other, right? Like um, Antifa will do this crap just as quickly as QAnon will. So, but I think the reality is, is we have to, um, we have to be aware of where our information is coming from. 
Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, uh, although I am a, a six on the Enneagram, which is probably means nothing to anybody that's listening, but Me I, I too, Heather, how <laughs> funny Yay! is that? That is awesome. <laughs> um, so we, you know, like we come into everything with a level of suspicion. Right. Um, and, and I have learned, of course, I've learned to balance that. But the reality is, is I do everything I see. I always am like, okay, who wrote this? Okay, what? Let me go. I don't know anything about this organization. Let me go look at their about. Right. And what's let me, their you know, slant on this? what's what, their slant? What are they trying to get out of this? <laughs> right. And not, not because, not because I'm going to instantly not believe it. Right. But because I want to know what their agenda is in providing this information. Right. Yeah. Because... Because for me, as a follower of Jesus, my number one thing is wholeness for both, both for individuals, but for relationship, right? So like, I believe that God created us to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with one another, mm-hmm. right? And in the, in, the, in the creation story, God is in relationship with Ha'adam, and then when God creates woman out of Ha'adam, and then there are now the two um, earthlings, two human beings, that they're to be a relationship with one another, right? So that's like the immediate core of who we are. Yeah. And so if we're not working in every way that we can to be whole as individuals in relationship with God and whole as individuals in relationship with one another, then we're failing at this experiment as life. Mm. Um, And so... That is what I think we need to be working toward, and our sexuality is part of that. Oh, I feel like I just went to church. Well, Heather, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart today. Where can, if people want to have further conversation with you or find more, you know stuff out about where could they contact you or do you have a website? Sure. Yeah. My, my website's a little long, so I'm just going to, um, but I can also send it to you so you can put it on your notes, but yes, I'll do um, that too. It is ministry of holistic human sexuality, all one long obnoxious word uh-huh. at, um, dot org. That's the website. And my email address is just Heather at that. Heather so. at that. Heather at Ministry of Holistic Human Sexuality. Oh, I was like, at yeah. that? What's that? I've never heard yeah, of that. Okay. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> no, if you, awesome. on the website, if people get to the website, they can fill out the little contact me thingy and I will respond. Awesome. Well, thank you, Heather, for being on here today. And um, I hope anybody listening, um, if this was helpful, I hope that you will let me know if you want to have more conversations about this or any other topic that, um, you can holler at me. My email is always listed in the show notes. So you can email me and say, this was wonderful. You can email me and tell me it's awful and it's crap. I mean, whatever you feel, I think as long as we're having a conversation about it, we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, Heather, I hope you enjoy your beautiful weekend. And uh, we'll you see you all next time on Unveiled. Thanks. Bye.